was a great celebration last week, our 175th anniversary celebration, uh, both in the worship and then um, out the, in the afternoon. There was so many of you came. It was amazing. And we had uh, select. Monique, go nowhere. Monique, stay right there. So we were thanking everybody who was uh, participating in that. And um, that whole thing was uh, started with a vision that Monique had to really fill this year with celebration, which is a good year to celebrate because it's just good to celebrate anything right now. But also, but having something so beautiful and good to celebrate. So all the, the, the vision to have those panels and our, some of our historic stuff and all that. So Monique, that was all you. I want to thank you for pulling that all together. <laughs> now you can sneak out. You could do that. So, yeah. No, but thank you. That was just, it went so well. It was so good to see Jack, and, and we had select board members here, and the newspaper did a little write-up. It was, it was really good. So praise God, and we're going to continue to celebrate this year. But we have the uh, text at hand this morning. You know, we read the Bible. There's so many things that are so foreign to us, with uh, animal sacrifice and these strange traditions, and it's been 2,000 years since Jesus, and it can feel very distant for us. Until you get a good debate about hand washing. We are experts at hand washing. We know everything there is to know. I've, I've learned more about hand washing in the last year than I have my entire life of washing my hands. Uh, I had no idea. I, was, I mean, we have so much information. You just go to, there's a page, mass.gov slash hand washing. And, and it, I, I'm like, whoa, we have a whole web page. Oh, no, no, no. It's a whole website dedicated to hand washing. And you can click. I clicked on hand washing education materials for the general public. I thought that was probably the most relevant for us or for me today. Um, so, and then I looked down and I saw it says, watch, watch a brief video that shows you how to wash your hands. It's a three-minute video. Do you think I watched it? Oh, yeah, you better believe I watched it. It was so well produced. It had all the information and, and demonstration and rationale of washing one's hands. That video links to the CDC website for hand washing. It's in every language in the world. It has infographics. It was so entertaining. I'm not kidding you. It was really well done. That three-minute video was as good as any three-minute video um, that didn't include people falling down that I've seen on the, in the Internet in the last month. This is good stuff. Now, now, don't get me wrong. I'm not making fun of it. I am pro-hand-washing. If anyone asks, uh, absolutely. Now, for the Pharisees of Jesus' days who go and confront him about hand-washing, their issue with hand-washing had nothing to do with hygiene, or communicable diseases so much, uh, perhaps indirectly, but it was really about spiritual purity, not personal hygiene, spiritual purity. They believed that, uh, rightly, that God is holy and God is pure and that they needed to do everything they could to keep themselves pure and they would follow these traditions, including these uh, hand-washing traditions. But Jesus, and they, they're asking Jesus, why do, why do your followers not... Why are they not practicing the tradition of the elders and uh, washing their hands in this way? And Jesus pushed back on them. 
Because their approach to this whole thing really it revealed major flaws that they had in both their understanding of God and their approach to God. And so I want to look at three major flaws that are revealed as they question Jesus about hand washing. Now, as we look at the mistakes that, that the Pharisees made here, the flaws in their view of God, we're going to see that these are some of the same mistakes that we can easily make about our approach to God. In fact, their central flaw of their approach is so deeply entrenched in the human heart that it's basically part of every religion. And if we're not careful, it becomes part of our faith too. Uh, so it's, 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 a, it's a false notion of what religion even is. So, um, you know, sometimes you come to worship and you sing and you hear a sermon and you leave and you just feel so built up and excited and... Um, yeah, so that's not how this is going to go this morning. <laughs> and for, for you watching online, you could actually, some of you, we're going to note it, we're going to look at the metrics and like, there's a big drop off. But no, it's okay because God, uh, the image in scripture is that God is like a master gardener and he's pruning us and he's cutting off unproductive and unfruitful branches so that we can become more fruitful. And so it's okay because God is refining us, God is shaping us, and it's a good thing even if it doesn't even if it reveals to us areas where we uh, get it wrong. So let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are good to us and, and you love us enough to refine us, to even discipline us, to train us towards what is truly right and truly good. And there's joy in knowing you and there's joy in knowing you as a loving Heavenly Father in that way. So we pray now as we look into your word that you would do that good work on our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, the the first flaw uh, we see in in their view of God here is that uh, sin is a big problem for those people. Uh, For other people. Sin is a problem for other people. That is a very, uh, that's not a great view. So we have the Pharisees. They're pointing out that the disciples are not following the tradition of the elders, the tradition of the elders is, was an oral tradition. So we have the written tradition of Scripture. And the, it's really since the time of Moses, there was also this oral tradition of the elders, which was rooted in the Scriptures, but it built upon it. And it was various uh, rituals and various rules to live a pure life. And so it, it kind of helped them from breaking the Old Testament law. So their intent in these traditions is not a bad intent to, to want to be pure, to, to not want to violate God's law. That's a good thing. Um, the, the Old Testament law designated certain things that were clean and certain things that were unclean. There were certain foods that you could not eat. There were certain things that you could not touch. There were certain people who were considered to be unclean because of a medical condition or because they weren't Jewish. All Gentile people were considered unclean. But these rules, it became tough to follow them, because they're, they're living in Jesus' day, and in, in the area of Jerusalem where these leaders are coming from. There's a lot of people of different cultures, a lot of Gentiles. And the teaching of the elders was that even the dust that is kicked up off the ground from the foot of a Gentile is unclean. So there's all these unclean things, but if you touch an unclean thing, you become yourself unclean. So if, you, if you're in a city and there's 
unclean dust flying around, that dust is going to get on you. It's nearly impossible to perfectly follow these kind of rules. So, so what they, they did was, okay, if, if I accidentally get this unclean dust or somehow a demon that I can't see is on my hands, we're going to wash our hands with the ceremonial washing before the meal, in between every course of the meal, and after the meal. Very thorough hand washing. And so they're pointing out that the disciples are not following this tradition and they're, they're shortcoming in that. But Jesus says, look, you're pointing out their shortcoming, but your practice is inconsistent. One of the traditions of one of these elder traditions that they were following was that you could designate your property to God. You could say it's devoted to God. It's, you're going to give it to the temple or you're going to uh, donate it. And, and it was designated. You couldn't use it for any other purpose once you make this kind of a vow. And Jesus said, look, when you do that, you can't then use your resources to help your mother and your father. And therefore, you're violating God's law. Your, your very traditions, when you follow them, are causing you to sin against one of the Ten Commandments. He says, so you can point out the shortcoming of my disciples for not washing, but you're violating God's law by following this thing. You're a bunch of hypocrites. I think for us, it's, it's easy to notice other people's sin and to see it as a problem for them out there, but forget that it's nearly impossible to be perfectly consistent morally all of the time. For example, I got into this long debate with a group of pastors on Thursday, and we were talking about vaccines, and specifically talking about COVID vaccines. And the debate was uh, kind of going around in circles, kind of, uh, arguments for and against. Now, I am, I am very much uh, excited that we have these vaccines. I'm myself vaccinated, and I think it's good for people to do that. Um, but everybody needs to make their own personal choice as to, you know, their own decisions medically. Nobody should be forced to do this kind of thing. But overall, I think it is good. It helps us get towards, um, a, you know, uh, getting through this season. But there are... Uh, at least one of the ones that's available in, in the U.S., uh, vaccines that are derived from cell chains that go back to uh, cells that were originally fetal tissue. And as people who are pro-life, as I am, uh, are concerned about these kind of medical developments that are based in fetal tissue, as we should be. And so we're debating these things, but it was, this is, these are cell chains that were started in the 60s and I think 1970s, so it's many years displaced. It's not, they're not harvesting fetal tissue today to develop vaccines, but they're, they're sort of old chains of cells that have been propagated for years and years. And how, what's our moral obligation? And we're having this debate, and we're drinking coffee and having a great time talking about it, and then one of the pastors says, well, what about that cup of coffee you're drinking? If you're pro-life, is that coffee you're drinking ethically sourced? Or was it built on child or slave labor or of evil business practices? Are you morally obligated now that you're drinking the coffee? So we're talking about vaccines, we're talking about coffee, and we realize, oh, it is very hard to do everything so perfectly morally correct. With the clothes we wear, with our medical technology, with our, it is, that's not that it's not important. It's just very hard to be perfectly consistent all the time, and we realize, I, I'm... I'm a sinner. <laughs> or I'll put it more simply. Forget about all the medical technology. 
You see a fire truck going with the sirens blaring, and you say, God, please don't let that be my house. You evil person. You're, you're wishing evil on somebody else's house. It's, it's that simple. Now, there's nothing wrong with not wanting your house to be burning down. But do you see the dilemma we get into? It's, it's nearly impossible to be perfectly ethical and perfectly morally consistent all the time because the world is so broken by sin. And as soon as we just start to point out other people's sin, we realize, you know what, there's inconsistency in my human heart. There's shortcomings with me. Which leads me to our second point. So not only is sin not just other people's problems, it's actually my problem. The second flaw in their view of this is that I can deal with my own sin problem. Okay, so if I recognize that I sin, well, then I can just fix it. Verse 10, Jesus calls the crowd to him and says, listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth is what defiles them. And then the disciples came to him and said, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? Yeah, they were offended. In that one statement, Jesus has totally turned upside down their whole view of of how of how God works and what religion is all about. This passage is so revolutionary, that one statement when he says, it's not what goes into your mouth which defiles you, it's that which comes out of your mouth. He's flipping it all upside down. Their approach to God was this, that if I, uh, if I do my part, if I avoid what is unclean, and if I clean myself through these rituals and avoid the unclean, uh, then then I can approach God, who is good and holy. So I'm not going to put the unclean thing in. If something gets on me, I'm going to wash it off myself. But Jesus cuts to the core of this. Now, God is holy, and God is pure, and we do need purity to approach God. They're right in that part of it. But they're coming from this point of view of religion, and it's actually central to every world religion and every faith system that it's a very formulaic faith, that you hold up your end of the bargain, and then your God or the gods or however whatever the system is, then the gods will hold up their end of the bargain. It's very cause and effect. You know, I, we live under these divine rules so that we can avoid calamity. So go back to the most priv- primitive religions in the world. People who, don't, who didn't have the scientific understanding we had. You know, how do we make sure the rains come? How do we uh, avoid fever? How do we uh, make sure that the herds travel as they should? You, you try to appease the gods or somehow call on the gods and they will make these things happen. If you're irreverent or if you're disobedient, then you'll be cursed. But if you do things right, then you'll be, you'll be blessed. Now, as religious thought you know, progresses through time and as scientific thought grows, that same thing is there. You, you, you want to do your rituals right, but morality. It's really through morality that you, you earn God's favor in this type of thought. At the end of the day, all of these systems are really just trying to control God. Or at least appease God in some way that blessing might flow. I need something from God and I'm going to behave a certain way so that he will give it to me. And this way of thinking is deeply entrenched in the human heart. From the very first sin, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, what's the first thing they do? They they cover their bodies. They try to hide it from God. They try to take care of it themselves. 
And they, they, we believe that we can either, we can cover it or wash it or avoid it enough to please God and, and get God's favor. There's two huge problems with this way of religious thought, even though most religions are based on this. The first big problem is that, well, what if God doesn't hold up his end of the bargain? If I do my rituals, and if I say the right prayers, and if I do the right good things, what if I don't get what I want? You know, I can tell you stories of people who had terrible diagnoses, and they prayed to God, and they did righteous things, and God healed them, and they were cured of what was thought to be incurable diseases. I could tell you just as many stories of people with similar diagnoses who did, lived similarly righteous and prayed to God and they weren't healed. What, what do we do with that? God didn't... I thought I, thought I, was, I thought I was supposed to get all the blessings when I did my end of things. Now, don't get me wrong. There's tremendous blessing in obedience. There's tremendous blessing in seeking to live a pure life. But we cannot control God. The second big problem is with this way of thinking is that God is perfectly holy and we are not. So what amount of washing do I need to do? What amount of good deeds do I need to do? What, how moral do I have to be before I've done enough? And how do I know? And it's an endless cycle. And Jesus said, it's not about performing the rituals. It's not about eating the right food. It's not even about praying the right prayers. Jesus said, it's about your heart. And above anything else, I want your heart. And that's how this works. And when you think about it, in Jesus' day, the most religious and the most moral people couldn't accept that. But it was the immoral it was some of the outcasts and some of the sinners of the world that genuinely understood that they could give their heart to God. They could experience God's kingdom. They could experience God's presence. Because it was more a matter of the heart than of all these religious rules. So in order to get it right, you need to understand the source of sin. And that's the third flaw in their thinking, um, in their approach to God. The third flaw was that they felt that the source of sin was Things that are out there that you bring in. And Jesus said the source of sin is what's in here that comes out. Verse 17. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out the body? That's a very kind way to translate that. <laughs> Literally enters the mouth into the stomach and then cast out into the latrine. It's like the Bible word for, for toilet. It, it goes in your body and out into the latrine. But, verse 18, the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these things defile him. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands, that does not defile them. And today Jesus would add, although it is good to wash your hands, but you... <laughs> Sin is, sin is not just out there, Jesus said. It's right in here. It starts in the human heart. And when you think about purifying the human heart, it's too easy to avoid unclean food. It's too easy to wash your hands ceremonially. You know what's hard? Loving the unlovable. 
you know, giving up my time, my money, my comfort, my pleasures, issues of the heart are much harder. And it, it, it goes, it's because it goes much deeper. Sin goes much deeper. Jesus said the greatest commandment, the first, the most important, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, with all of who you are, deep from the very core of who you are, it's to love God. That is the most important thing. It's not just how you act, it's not just the things you do, but why you act, the motives behind them, that God cares about all of that. And if you want to approach God, you've got, to, you've got to know a heart for him. Because out of the heart, verse 19 says, out of the heart come evil thoughts in this list. Let's leave that up there, verse 19, if you can. And I think the danger is to say, well, that's not in my human heart. I mean, that's a pretty bad list. I'm a pretty decent person. I think that's a great danger to think that, that that's not in our hearts. Remember, murder, it's not just the act of murder, but it's anger. It's wanting someone else gone. Jesus has already taught. We've, we looked at that earlier in the series. You know, adultery is a matter of the heart and sexual immorality. and our, It's part of your thought life. And God can see those things. You know, most of the time, it's, it's very comforting that God knows my heart. God knows my thoughts. And then sometimes you think, God knows my thoughts. You know, it's, God knows them. Theft. I'm not a thief. Well, there's... Well, but there are some things I want that aren't mine. That's in my heart somewhere. False testimony, slander. It's so easy to just misrepresent the truth. It's lying. It's, it's easy to do. Slander. It's so easy to take a swipe at someone, especially if you're good with your words. You just kind of give a backhanded comment or a little swipe at someone. I was in a conversation last week. And somebody actually stopped me and said, I, don't, we're, I think you're about to say something that's not going to be kind towards this person. And we should probably stop talking. And I'm so glad I have people in my life to say things like that because it's so easy to take a swipe at someone. That's, that's what's in the heart. And that's the big issue. It's not the hands, it's not washing your hands, it's not the rituals, the rules, it's your heart. So if we see that it's nearly impossible to be perfectly morally consistent all the time, and so that sin is not just other people's problem, it's my problem. And when I see that I can't purify myself, and that no amount of washing is going to change the inside, because sin runs so deep, what am I to do? I need a new heart. And that's where Jesus comes in. That's the good news of Jesus Christ, that he had a perfectly pure heart. That he was completely consistent, and that he was completely without sin. Tempted, yes, but without sin in any way. So he's the only one who could do it. Therefore, he was the only one who could go in our place. And he went to the cross to get all of the wrath and all of the judgment that our sin deserves. He takes it on himself. And he, he dies, and he rises to new life to say, I'm going to give you new life. I'm going to exchange your sinful heart for my righteousness. And we turn our hearts to him. We turn away from sin. And, and we receive forgiveness and a new heart and a new life. We pray it when we pray our prayer of confession, when we do communion. We say, uh, forgive me that I may delight in your will and walk in your ways. We, we need 
our hearts changed so that God's rules are not a way to control him and not a way to get things from him, but it is our heart's delight to obey. It is, our, it is a joy to walk in the Lord's way, to know his will and to live it. And that is where you take this with you this week. So now, as God is doing that work in you, the stuff that comes out of your mouth isn't this defiling and, uh, and sinful thing. What now comes out of you are words of blessing, words of truth, words that point other people to the love of Jesus, words that build up. Because what's coming out of your mouth is going to be a blessing, not something that defiles our world. And we have, because we have this new heart, let us pray. Lord, I pray that you would just take us from here, that every one of us, wherever we've engaged this, would just turn from our sin, receive your grace, and do your good work. Because we need a new heart, and we can't do it on our own. We acknowledge this. We receive your grace. And we just pray that the work of your Holy Spirit would be building in this new life, this, this new person that can truly be a blessing. And may it be for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.